This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective. Liquid Amber provides custom and cosmetic tattoos alongside a curated art gallery dedicated to celebrating local artists. And their monthly art socials are becoming a can't-miss event in the Vancouver cultural scene. Discover more at liquidambertattoo.com. And stay tuned to learn more about Liquid Amber's call for submissions for a film industry art showcase coming in 2020. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Firminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today we welcome Two Sonia Bennett's to the YVR Screen Scene podcast. Two? Two, yes. So, I was waiting for that reaction. Actually, you have it here. Wait for awkward silence. Okay, great. So we did that. The first Sonia Bennett is when we as audiences first met in the early 2000s. A fierce and funny actress who lit up the screen as Detective Samantha Walters in Cold Squad, as Daisy in Godiva's, and as Mia in YPF... The original title of which was so much better, Young People Fucking We... Oh, you can swear on this podcast, by the way. Perfect for me. Great. Uh, She's still that multi-talented actress who jumps back and forth between indie fair and network shows and... In 2018, I just sat up straighter, won the Leo Award for Best Supporting Performance by a Female in a Motion Picture for Kayak to Klemtu. And you were great in the kayak, by the way. Thanks. You worked, you could tell you worked hard. But let me tell you about the other Sonia Bennett. The other Sonia Bennett that exists in tandem with the first. And she's only truly made herself known in the last five years. She's the screenwriter. And she's producing work that is as fierce and funny as her acting counterpart. Her work includes the feature film Prego Land, about a 30-something who fakes a pregnancy in order to be accepted by her peer group, and the digital series Sunny Hearts Community Center, about a dysfunctional, but for anybody in Vancouver, a very familiar life, which is the community center life. Uh, Sonia has also written and story-edited on Ghost Wars, Kim Convenience, and Letterkenny. And... Maybe there's like a third Sonia, but no, it's really a confluence of the two. Sonia often acts in and receives acting award nominations for the work that she's written. Also, some of her acting work on Ghost Wars is literally burnt into my eyeballs, and we can talk <laughs> about that a little bit later. So today we're going to hear the tale of two Sonias. We're going to draw forth her origin story. We're going to talk to the actress and the screenwriter and talk about the fierce and funny and flawed characters. Emphasis on flawed, but awesome. Wait, fierce and funny and flawed and fantastic characters who populate her filmography. I love it. Sonia Bennett and Sonia Bennett, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thanks, Sabrina. <laughs> happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. You've been on my list for a while. 
And I'm glad I didn't get you in here when I originally wanted you in here because you're even busier than you were before, which means that there's even more to talk about. But I want to talk about beginning. Like, do you like how do you identify yourself now, especially as somebody who for so long was the actress, the award winning and nominated actress? And now you're also a screenwriter, a critically acclaimed screenwriter. So how do you see yourself? I'm not talking about how other people like me describe you. How do you see yourself? I would say I'm slowly over the years starting to think of myself as primarily a screenwriter. A screenwriter who acts as opposed to an actress who writes. Okay. A screenwriter who acts. But isn't, like, doesn't what you do first come first to your description? Or is it because, like, why is that? Do you see yourself more? I want to unpack this. This is therapy. Is it because you see yourself more in control of the story when you're the screenwriter? Yes. Yeah. And also, it's what occupies most of my hours at this point. Ah. And it's more of my identity, the writing is. Yeah. Whereas, you know, when I'm acting, um, I'm giving my all, but I'm telling someone else's story. And yeah. that's generally not the case with the writing. So it, it it's it's inside me more. I think I kind of get that, actually. Yeah. Um, not that I hope my editor at The Courier and other, other clients who I write for don't hear this, but I really definitely feel myself that once I started podcasting, I found what I really love. And I still like the other stuff, and I still do the other stuff, and I've been doing the other stuff for longer, but this is like my happy place. Is, yeah. that, is that the same kind yeah, of thing? It yeah, it is. It is. And when I'm writing, I'm, I'm usually by myself. Yeah. And um, it's occupying my head all the time, day and night, in a way that the acting doesn't quite do. That's, okay, so we're the opposite then. Because with, with with my writing, I'm alone, and I don't like it as much, but I like sitting with other people and having the conversation. Well, you're probably the most social human being I've ever met, so that makes sense. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It's a great thing. Okay, good. So, okay, we'd always do some time travel, and I mm-hmm. feel like in order to understand how we ended up at the screenwriter who acts, we have to go back in time to understand where you come from. Let's so this do is it. The, so what is your time travel vehicle of choice? Got the TARDIS. We got the DeLorean. We got the oh, Bill and Ted shit. phone booth. DeLorean. Yeah, everybody DeLorean. chooses that. Yeah, it's because it's the only one of the things that you named that I've heard of. <laughs> You've never heard of the TARDIS? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. But the phone booth from Bill and Ted, maybe? Oh, yeah. Is that a good option? Well, that's a pretty good option. Oh, okay. Does that change your answer at all? No, I'm oh, still okay. going DeLorean. Okay, so we're in the DeLorean, and we're going to go back in time. And I have no idea. Like, you set in the the coordinates. I'll check the flux capacitor. Okay. <laughs> um, and tell me where we're going. I want to meet, like, a, a childhood version of you when you were most in your element. Like, who were you, and where were you, and what were you interested in? And go! Oh, probably a teenager. Really? I really yeah, I found my groove. I have, I've generally found the older I am, the more choices I have, the happier I am. Hmm. I was very happy being a drama nerd. Okay. Hanging out with all my misfits. Um, Oh, you're an artsy weirdo. Artsy weirdo. But I was also very academically inclined. So I had this weird merge of like being in the like the special enriched classes with like the academic nerds. And then I had my 
drama nerds. It was just like nerd on nerd. Yeah. Wow. And um, did you feel like an other in that way? Because you're like you you were there were the theater geeks, and then there's also like the academic geeks, like you know, and both in the larger you know. Um, ecosystem of high school are can, are on the fringe right and I yeah. can say that's somebody who exists in both as well like did you feel like a like a nerd weirdo on the outside 100% yeah and like both those things not unlike now where I act and write and I feel like I I can I feel very comfortable in both of those worlds, but yeah. they are different worlds. So living in that space then, being, I don't know, she's like, what's the most awkward age? 14, that's pretty fucking awkward, <sighs> right? Yeah. So 14-year-old Sonia, like mm-hmm. what What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I wanted to be a rock star. Oh, I, I mean, and I, dream come true. I don't play any musical instruments for some reason. I didn't perceive that as an obstacle. Um, I just wanted to be the lead singer of a band. <laughs> No, we were teenagers though in the nineties, right? And at the same time yeah. that um that, you know, I mean, we did have the big rock bands where they played lots of instruments. I mean, there was also a lot of people making a lot of money, um, not playing instruments at all and yet like performing, you yeah. know. I'm thinking about like pop music and yeah. I think I was more interested in doing like the slide across the floor on my knees yeah. than like anything specifically artistically, which may have been part of the problem. Yeah. Wow, you have very uh, specific dreams. And um, so in order to, so it's, so you go to, now you come from an artistic, you come from creative people, right? Like this I do, was, my father's a screenwriter. Right. Mm-hmm. So th- it's not like uh, oftentimes we get people in here and they'll be like, I, I, my parents were accountants and engineers and I told them I wanted to be an actor and they begged me not to. And no. Well, my dad did beg me not to. Really? Um, but uh, so tell me about that that conversation. Then you you go to him and you're like, I want to what? Yeah, I I want to at that at this point, I wanted to be an actress, and he said, if you can, you know, the thing that people say, if you can think of anything else, do it. Yeah. Uh, and then I was in a production of Anne of Green Gables in a musical, which is insane because mm. I can't sing at all. I don't. <laughs> the, the pool was s- small. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he came to see it, and afterwards he was like, okay, mm. you should go for it. Yeah. But then at theater school, like, I was not a success either. Um, but that's merging two of your favorite things, acting and school. I know. I was playing, like, barnyard animals. Like, it was not looking good yeah. for me. Um, but, ha, joke's on them. Yeah. It worked I- out. And what, so was it a, a question of where you were at your life and you were you weren't going to like you just weren't going to be as engaged in the in the whatever they were offering it's, academically well, or was it just like it was a poorly designed program? It's not a poorly designed program. I just wasn't a very good candidate for it. Uh, so I went to Studio 58 and it's a wonderful program. Yeah. Uh, it, oh, it, God, it, of course. It's amazing. But, uh, you know, you take uh, singing and tap dancing and ballroom dancing and mime and I am just awkward I could only say the words and that's it so I would love to watch some videos from oh that time oh my god oh my god <laughs> I love I mean I love watching you I mean you do awkward oh so well god. so I wonder what that time I- then doing this stuff has informed you know your acting work then well it has like okay here's an example 
So we had to do a tap dancing final. We had to choreograph a, a tap dance piece. I could not tap dance. I don't know why I cannot tap dance. And uh, so I w- did my piece to Madonna's Vogue. And, you know, they do the hands thing. And so yeah. I just... <laughs> I feel I, my body just kind of recoiled in. I'm like, oh, no, God, I no. just stood in one place and didn't move my feet, but vogued very aggressively with my arms. <laughs> Did you think they weren't going to notice your I thought that maybe I'd get points for being funny, and I did get yeah. some points. My tap teacher was pissed, but the my acting instructors did think it was pretty funny. So <laughs> I have <laughs> taken that into my career <laughs> Don't look at my feet. Look over here. Look at my hands. That's amazing. So when was the first time then that you would say that you felt creatively engaged then with the work? Clearly it wasn't in tap dancing class and in theater school. Yeah. No, I mean, I did some things in theater school. Like when when you got to the older, um, when you got to your final year, uh, we took... um, a course called Solo Show, where everyone had to write their own show. Yeah, I could see how that would be a big thing for you. And I wrote it, and I was like, I love writing, and I loved performing um, my own material, and I loved mining from my from my own life. And I was like, this, I love this. Yeah. Um, what was your What was your solo show about? Well, my my grandmother. Um, was uh, a therapist and my grandfather's a philosopher so I grew up they had a very like heady academic um, part of the family yeah so my solo show was called I peed myself by accident (laughs) and uh, it was about a 10 year old girl I played a 10 year old who had locked herself in the closet um, because she had peed herself by accident but everyone in the family was analyzing what it meant and why and her feeling like she was overanalyzed and so she's in the closet talking to the audience who happens to be in her closet that's amazing oh have we seen that anywhere else have you brought that into Uh, any work was it filmed like i really want to watch that uh if it was filmed i'm not going to find (laughs) it or show it to you Uh, what about your uh, your entry into the film and television biz then? How'd that go? Well, I mean, I had couldn't have had it easier. Just full on nepotism. My my father had written a movie called Punch, which was about a relationship between a father and a daughter. And at the time, uh, I think they were hoping to get Lily Sobieski, who was really big at the time. Mm-hmm. This when she was really hot and. Um, the movie was going to be made, but at a smaller budget. And um, there was a party, and I met one of the producers, and he said to my dad offhand, well, it's too bad your daughter's not an actress because that'd be a good hook. And he was like, oh, well, she kind of is, but, like, she plays, like, the back half of horses in theater school, so I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know it's going to work, work out. Vote of confidence uh, there, Dad. <laughs> yeah. So, but that began the journey of me going through the audition process and jumping through hoops um oh so it was nepotism but not like you still had to work for it sure but i mean let me be honest here they weren't auditioning anyone else either but they they did do some work (laughs) to make sure i was up for the task yeah and um 
So anyway, I, I was in the movie, and um, so I got to start my career having a lead in a feature, and it premiered at TIFF, and then I got headhunted by Fox Television. So I started kind of at the top, which in a way sucked because then there was only I could only go down, which isn't like the best place to be at 22. Yeah. Oh, God, 22 uh, is such a hard age. Yeah, it was not Anyways, the best. Yeah. But, I mean, I can't complain. I, I was able to leapfrog past student number two and cheerleader and all that All stuff. of that stuff that can be really demoralizing. Yeah. What did you learn on the set of Punch and the process of making that film? Hmm. Well, I mean, so much. I learned how to act. I learned how to make a film I learned about stillness and being private how to be private in public and and I feel like that's the key to film acting and luckily I was in a very safe environment so I was able to uh, really leap um and trust that that was okay. And I think feel like that's been the tool that's helped me a lot with film acting. Yeah. You have to just trust. Now you have you have worked in in feature films, in web series, on television as an actor and w- we will bring the screenwriter in shortly, but but do you have uh do you have a preferred Venue? Do you have a, a preferred outlet? Like, I, I guess, like, because I, I, you seem to shine in everything. Jeez, thanks, Sabrina. I'm not biased. No, but I'm just, you know, I mean, Kayak to Clemtu and Prego Land and that Ghost Wars arc there where, my God, I almost, I threw up on myself. Not almost, but it was, oh, but it was wonderful. Yeah, it's what you like Coming to hear. That's yeah, what going for. <laughs> and yeah. Sunny Hearts too, which is a different format, right? Yeah. You know, so you seem to be able to do your thing in so many different. I can venues. do so many things, Serena, in so many different contexts. Yeah, <laughs> um, there's something about making a feature that's that's so focused, and when you get there, you've got a product that's been someone's been working on for years yeah. um so there's a, a resonance and to that that's so juicy and so satisfying um but there is also something about making a web series that's so fun um that just, kind just of idea like, of like let's put on a get, show get her done let's <laughs> yeah. just get her done doesn't have to be perfect it has to be shot in the next hour before we're kicked out of this room. Yeah. <laughs> um, that something that's, you know, it's not precious and uh, you can take risks and that's really great too. Yeah. And Ghost Wars, which I've mentioned a few times. I, I mean, I I talk a, a lot about Ghost Wars on this show because I think it's super underrated. I heard from Simon Barry himself that it didn't get a fair enough shot, you know, so I really like to draw attention to it because it is a very satisfying season one journey. Uh, and um, and I, so well, I don't... it's bold. It's, that's a good word for it, especially what a what your character had what what are, what are, I don't want to I want people I want you guys who are listening to watch the show so I'm not going to tell you what happens Sabrina they're not going to watch the show why aren't they going to watch the show because it's canceled and they're not going to go watch it right now Maybe no I they think will. they will 
I want them to because I, know I think you want it's, them to because you're amazing and you're so supportive. No, I'm not doing it for supportive. It's because I talk about it all the time, and so right. I want more people to talk about it with because you did such wonderful work in there. Thank you. Anyway, I wouldn't worry about spoilers. Just okay. Your 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 character undergoes some gross things. So many gross things. So many gross things. I am worried about spoilers. I want people to watch okay, it. I'm okay. not going to tell them. I but like it's your super, optimism. super gross. So tell me about the joys of acting in that, in that genre and going through what you went through in a non-spoiler kind of way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> got very aggressive. They are going to watch it. Listen, I got people to watch The Order. You know, I got people to go to VIF. Okay, you're awesome. I okay. get to watch Story Hive shows. I do this. You do this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's really it's really fun. And because I wrote on the show, anytime that uh, there was no like actressy complaining. So like you wrote it, you literally wrote this, so you're doing it. When you wrote it though, were you thinking about the fact that I didn't know I was going to be in it when I wrote it. Oh. And the oh. and the thing that you're talking about, I think was I get impregnated with a ghost baby. Yeah. Um, I had a, a fairly large hand in that storyline because I'm the pregnancy go-to person, yeah. I guess. It's one of my specialties. Um, I, I mean, yeah, that's thinking about your work. Yeah, that. I par- apparently, <laughs> I don't know how that <laughs> happened. Uh, so I, I had pitched in the room we were like how can we make a birth even grosser than birth actually is which is already pretty gross it's so gross it's so gross ew uh, there's like shit like people don't even think about that people fact don't think about that fact shit and piss and oh my god it's awful I remember giving birth and being saying to my midwife I'm worried I'm gonna put myself I'm worried I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put myself and she was like no you're not no you're not no you're not anyway <laughs> Overshare. Yeah. Uh, we're like, how can we make this even grosser? I'm like, what if she burst the baby out of her mouth? And they were like, yeah, let's do that. Sonia, I said, don't talk about it. Oh, God. <laughs> Look, <laughs> if anything's going to make them watch it, it's going to be to see what that looks like. <laughs> it looks so gross. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Oh, my God. I mean, they might scrub through to find that scene. Yeah. But I'm not going to tell you what episode it's in. They would so be you have missing to watch the whole season just to find it. Such incredible content. <laughs> my God. Okay, so what is a Sonia Bennett story as a screenwriter? Because I love the characters that you write. I love... In Pregoland, we saw front and center this character who was a big, flawed loser fuck-up. And we didn't mm-hmm. often get to see women. Increasingly now we yeah. do. But, you know, back then, and that wasn't all that long ago. Yeah. You know, we did not get these... The, female the females, Yeah, anti-heroes, yeah. you know. So t- t- tell me about that process of bringing Pregoland to the screen, to, to where that character came from and... And yeah. uh, the joys of writing flawed, fucked up women. Well, I didn't set out to do that. That sort of emerged. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I'd already written one screenplay. And I knew I was wanting to write something for myself. Yeah. I was looking for a vehicle 
for a quote unquote comeback. I don't really know if I was ever successful enough to have a comeback. She's but doing a quotation. I'm doing quotation fingers. marks. Comeback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, didn't really happen, but I fell in love with writing, you know, along the way. So yeah. that was great. So I knew I, I needed it to be a part that I could play. Um, and I was just searching and searching my brain, and I was pregnant with uh, my son at the time. And uh, I don't know if – I have a feeling maybe you don't have this problem, but I found it in a way challenging to make new friends as an adult. Mm. You know, when you're younger and you're in college together, especially in this business where we don't have a workplace. And sometimes I'd you know, meet a woman at the gym and – like we'd chat a bunch of times and I'd be like, hey, do you want to go out for a drink? And I could see the, I'm kind of shrinking. And be like, they think I'm coming on to them. Yeah. I don't, this is weird. <laughs> I just want to be friends with these ladies and I don't know how. Yeah. Um, but then when I was pregnant, it was nuts. It was like, you're pregnant. Someone else is pregnant. It's like you've joined this clique, this, this club you, that yeah. you're automatically part of um and I was on the bus one day and I uh, I was pregnant and I was sitting beside another woman who was pregnant and we started chatting a little bit due dates blah 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 and she took my phone and put her number into it so we could have play dates after our children were born wow um so I, I that was sort of the genesis of the movie um because it's easy it's easy when you're pregnant it's easy yeah. and there's so many benefits to being pregnant you're put on a pedestal and treated like a goddess and all these kind of fun but bizarre things but I was particularly interested in how uh, pregnancy and child rearing um, what it does for female friendships mm. and the cliques around it um, but in my first draft of the script uh, Ruth the main character was was not a fuck up um, it was every she was more of a wallflower, yeah, uh, yeah, and everyone else around her was an asshole, yeah, and it wasn't quite clicking, and I kept getting the note um, that the supporting characters seemed that that they were too unlikable, yeah. So I kept trying to make them likable, but then there was no conflict. You had a wallflower and kind people. That does not make a movie. Yeah. Uh, and then one day it just clicked. It was like, I don't need to change every other character in the movie. They can stay the same. Yeah. My character needs to change. Yeah. She needs to be the asshole. And what a glorious asshole she is. Like I, there is that great scene where it's like a, baby shower mm -hmm. and uh what's your character's name ruth ruth brings a very inappropriate gift a dildo a dildo yeah i'm really trying to to not have spoilers but sorry i you really don't care i really don't you care. really don't give a shit i have a lot of respect for that thank you actually yeah and um yeah brings a dildo you know and uh which is something i appreciated because it's, it's it's she just uh, missed the mark yeah she thought it'd be funny. Others didn't find it funny. 
No, and I'm I'm thinking about like the uptight mom groups that I was a part of for a very short amount of time, you know, and uh, and then they crumbled because part of me realized, you know, when my daughter was two, and I'm like, I don't like a lot of no, these I know. people, you know, like yes, it was like we both have kids that are the same age, but we would not be friends if we didn't have kids. Exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. That's what's so bizarre. Yeah, it's such an artificial construct and yeah. it's like once you're done talking about how tired you are yeah the topics run dry real quick yeah yeah and i guess the other thing that i appreciated about the film too is that it's can we not say what the ending is at least fine thank you deal thank you i appreciate that um Where'd my point go? Okay, (laughs) we made a deal and it totally shocked me. The fact that it doesn't have a very happy, tidy ending. And when I say happy, I mean, you know, in quotation marks where, oh, yeah, yes, exactly. Uh Uh, That, you know, you don't tie it up all in a bow. And it's like, oh, now she wants to have lots and lots of kids. And and I I did appreciate that. That that was really, really important to me. And that was uh, when Kevin, my producer, and I took... Kevin Eastwood? Kevin Eastwood. Friend of the YVR Screen Scene podcast. Yes. And we got lots of notes from Americans that were generally really good. Uh, but that was the one that I, that was the deal breaker. I was like, that is the note I will not take. Yeah. Um, I was very um, aware that it would be easy when you have an asshole character who is pretending to be pregnant yeah and throughout her fake pregnancy becomes a better human that um well okay without giving a spoiler at the end i didn't want the message to be when you become a mother you become a better person because i don't believe that and i think it's a shitty message yeah a lot of people do think that i know and it's not true just think from judging by some of the conversations I have when I'm waiting to pick my kid up from school, there are a lot an of asshole or an asshole with kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, ain't that the ain't that the truth? So, how did the experience then of of writing Ruth and the, bringing the film to the to the big screen? And it was like it was a it was a darling of the film festival circuit for that year, and it had a really positive. There was a lot of positive energy around the film. Like, so how do, what did you learn from that experience then? Well, um, besides that, you and Lisa Derue should always play sisters in everything. I know, right? Isn't she the best? She is the best. Um. Well, one thing I learned in the in the writing of it, and I guess. You know, over the years where I was trying to get the film made, I watched so many of my peers <clears throat> make beautiful, amazing films that just, n- they never had an audience. Yeah. And because they weren't commercial. And I had to shed the idea that commercial equaled bad. And I'm like, why? What? It, what is that? Like, yeah. what are the movies that I watch when I want to be cozy and at home? And, you know, they're the the movies that make me happy and yeah. feel good and that doesn't have to be a dirty word commercial so um i learned that making something that will attract eyeballs is okay mm. and doesn't make it not valid or art or cheap yeah um and what else did i learn Comedy is hard. Yeah. yeah. 
And you hand it like you did not direct yourself. No, you you your script was given to somebody else. Directed by the wonderful Jacob Tierney. Yes. yes. And so what was that? Like, was that a collaboration? Or was that like at a certain point, you're like, okay, I'm just going to do it, like, you know, really take his direction. I have to trust his vision. Like, what was that like? Um, I'm very good at compartmentalizing. And um, I, and, and I'm also, I don't have a director in me. It's, it's not really a skill that I have uh, or aspire to. So, uh, when we went into, you know, before the movie was shot, I had opinions about some things. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have opinions about a lot of things. And that's fine, I think. And once we started shooting, I just gave the movie to, to Jacob. I'm like, it's it's yours now. I had a 10-month-old, a 3-year-old. I was in every scene of the movie, plus having to do rewrites uh, on the fly. Oh, for, because James Caan wants something changed, you'd change it. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention James Caan plays your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'd never written under time pressure before. So my, um, yeah, yeah, I was like in my trailer pumping breast milk while talking to James C- Like, it was crazy. I, I had to just c- completely relinquish all control, and I was happy to, and say, Jacob, please. That sounds exhausting, and also just it also was the, awesome. the the working mother, yeah, working I mean, parent. Although mother, I mean, let's face it, you know, it's a certain, it's a very specific kind of multitasking and emotional labor that that mothers put into this. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like, thousands of people across the land are also nodding mm-hmm. vigorously. So. Am I correct in assuming that Pregoland kind of marked the beginning of a new period for you? Because I think that that's when I kind of woke up to the fact that, oh, Sonia Bennett's a writer. Because apparently it's a voice I, I, I use when I'm like, you oh. turned British when you <laughs> thought about me. Oh, uh, yes, I, I turned British. I'm like, oh, she's a writer. But, you know, it's, <laughs> there was that and then Sunny Hearts. And I'm like, she's going to this writer's room and that writer's room. And, you know, it so just happened like that. It was crazy. Yeah. Did, I mean, did yeah. you wake up to something or were other people waking up to, I woke to who up you to, were? I to something. Yeah. Um, it's the awakening of Sonia Bennett. Yes. I, I think it was becoming clear that the movie wasn't going to do like what Punch had done for me, whatever, however many years before. Yeah. It wasn't going to magically launch me into something else. Um, and there was a space where I was like, okay, Pregolan's playing in American theaters now. I should be down in LA now hitting the pavement, hustling. And I didn't want to. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I've got, I've got a new idea that I want to write. And That's interesting. Um, I was like, oh, the dream, the parameters of the dream have changed. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. And that's okay. It's more than okay. Yeah. It's great. Um, so I knew I wanted to make a living at screenwriting. And so I knew that I had to get out of making features because there's no money in it. Yeah. And so I wanted to get into television. Got some... I, Robert Chomiak is a 
is a writer in town and he encouraged me to get into television yeah and at the time i was a little bit offended like i'm a feature writer i'm a feature I'm writer a feature <laughs> i don't know what accent that was i don't know i don't know it's like 1940s <laughs> mid-atlantic like the kind that they use in all the film noir yeah uh, that's interesting though to go from i'm writing a feature and i like to be on my own to go into television be part of a yeah writers a, a hive mind yeah uh and it, obviously that was a two-year journey like that was not easy yeah i made the decision i want to work in television i have no training as a writer at all i had spent a huge amount of time reading screenwriting books um before i wrote prego land and studying movies and stopping and starting them and and so i did the same with television and i knew that i would have to give myself some kind of baseline education yeah uh which uh, it took about two years of me studying and writing pilots and uh till i even got an interview for a show and even that was extremely hard my literary agent called me up and said there's a show i had just written a family uh comedy like a family sitcom he's like there's a show that might match you tonally it's called kim's convenience um but it's in Toronto. Would you be willing to go to Toronto? Should I submit you? And I said, uh, yes, I would be willing to go to Toronto. Um, so he submitted me and I immediately, you know, got the play and read the play and got excited. Mm. And he's like, I can't get you an interview. Um, they won't read you. And I was like, what do you mean? They just, they won't even read my sample? And he said, uh, no, they've just, they've never heard of you. There's hundreds of people applying they won't read you sorry well I was mm. not willing to accept that so I'm like okay who's the showrunner and he told me who the showrunner was Kevin White and I'm like I'm not giving up so I went on IMDB and looked for what what Kevin White had done and if I knew anybody and Fred Ewanick who had done Dan for Mayor with yeah. him my very first gig I ever had was for a commercial for Sunkissed Orange Pop it was like non-union. Um, it was a little crazy commercial. And we were both in it. And that was a very long time ago. Yeah. I didn't know if he would remember me. I certainly didn't. I don't even know if I had an email address when we did that, com <laughs> that commercial. So I followed Fred on Twitter. He followed me back. I direct messaged him and said, I know this is crazy. No pressure. But would you be willing to forward a cover letter I've written to Kevin White? He said, no problem. I wrote a letter and just said, you know, what does a white actress know about the Korean immigrant experience? Ooh. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but here are all the things that I do know about and resonate with. And yeah. within 24 hours, I had an interview. Wow. So, it, like, you, the hustle is no, no fucking joke. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is a remarkable hustle. And that's not the, that's not the kind of thing that they can teach you in any kind of program right yeah it's a fine line between hard hustle and stalker it's a very fine line and you gotta intuitively know what it is yeah yeah i i'm and i mean frankly also you do have work behind you as well it's not like you know fred didn't like you were just some rando who had slid into his dms right like you yes. have work and you're both known in the community yeah, and so. we've done the sun-kissed orange juice commercial together i mean so and there that's was a big a deal that's i mean that bonds you for yeah, life okay yeah yeah okay we're gonna take a break and then when we come back i want to i want to talk about that sacred space 
of the writer's room, that space that Dennis Seaton described as a cross between a confessional and an evening at the improv. You were literally about to say that. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. he says that in everything. <laughs> and it's a very accurate description. Okay, I can't, I can't wait to hear all about that. So let's take that break. Some people claim that Vancouver is a no-fun city, but anyone who says this has clearly not attended Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective's monthly art socials, because these events are crazy fun and bring artists and art lovers together in one gorgeous space. Liquid Amber Tattoo is located in a stunning three-story brick building in historic Gastown. Since 2001, Liquid Amber's artists have been providing custom and cosmetic tattoos to satisfied Vancouverites and out-of-towners. The studio is health board approved, it's spotless, and the artists are consummate professionals. And there is always stellar artwork by local artists on the walls. Which brings us to Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective's signature event, The Art Social. On the last Friday of every month, Liquid Amber closes up early and the studio becomes an after-hours hive of creative energy. A vibrant, pulsating event space where artists show and sell their creations to art lovers and everyone is sipping wine and beer and having one hell of a good time. And right now, Liquid Amber Tattoo is on the lookout for art that's been created by artists who work in the film industry or that's been inspired by the film industry in some way. Is that you? Learn how you can submit your work to the 2020 Showcase and be part of future art socials on the Liquid Amber website. Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective is located at 62 Powell Street in Vancouver. For more information about the studio and the monthly art socials, and to submit to the 2020 Film Art Showcase, visit liquidambertattoo.com. That's liquidambertattoo.com. Thank you, Liquid Amber Tattoo and Arts Collective, which is co-owned by Luvia Peterson, Aww, who Luvia. loves you. I love her, too. Yeah, and you guys work together on uh, Ghost, on Ghost War. Wars. Severely underrated. Everyone go <laughs> and watch. Oh my God, you're cracking me up. Why? Because I love Ghost Wars so you much. Love, you love Ghost Wars more than anyone in the world <laughs> times 10. <laughs> Uh, I, there are a lot of reasons that I love Ghost Wars. I think one, the the lead dude was like a half Indian guy who I don't have not had the chance to see very much on television. Two, I got to see Sharon Taylor, you know, go above and beyond the kind of roles that she had done before, and then she's got to do so many more incredible things after that. And three, what other show has you know Vincent D'Onofrio and Kim Coates and Meatloaf, you know, and and Ryan Robbins and Olivia and you give him birth out of your mouth. I mean, you know what? Come These on. are all valid points yeah. and are making me rethink my stance. Thank you. Plus, every single episode is like a different genre. It's true. Bold, as I said. Bold. I say bonkers, but bold bonkers. works really well. Have I tried? Have I made you fall in you love know with what? your show again? I'm gonna go home and watch <laughs> it again. It's on Netflix, and it is a very satisfying journey. Wow. <laughs> Okay, glad I made that case for you. <laughs> so let's talk about the sacred space of the writer's room. Tell me about you. So your first foray, mm -hmm. foray, foray, your entry, 
into a yeah, writer's room. I got room. you. I got yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. You're picking up what I'm putting yeah. down. What what are what were some of the the early lessons that you had in the writer's room and what were some of the things that you, that uh you had innate within you that you didn't realize were there? Oh man, I learned so many lessons uh working on Kim's convenience. Um whew, where to start? Uh, can I just ask, though, so you you did mention before the break that, before the very lengthy break that, yes. we, that we took, um, that, you know, you had in your cover letter said, I'm, I know that I'm a white woman. Uh-huh. And I'm not. Was, that, was that something that you were cognizant of as you entered the writer's room? 100%. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, Inns Choi, who wrote the play that, the show was based on it was the only Korean in the room mm. there was no I don't think there was at that time any other Korean screenwriters in Canada yeah um so that was a, a weird thing um but yes I was very aware of it um but the show is also about so many things yeah about parenting and legacy and like so many things that you know everyone relates to um uh i learned is mr meta based on my dad that's what i want to know yes <laughs> my dad mr mara is i i believe and all my uncles the inspiration <laughs> for <laughs> mr meta he was <laughs> yes thank you he was oh, i knew it i got you daddy i got yes. you yes <laughs> Um, well, okay. So the play that the show is based on uh, is quite dark. The second half of it is quite dark. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have a show to, to mimic at that point. Um, and I think that my sensibilities um, were attracted to the darker elements of the play. Mm. And at some point as we were figuring out what the show was and what the world of the show was and the parameter parameters was I didn't pay close enough attention to how it was evolving Mm. um, and turning into like a capital C comedy a CBC capital C comedy yeah and uh, I learned that you have to more look to your showrunner and read what the show is and what's sticking as opposed to like here's me here's my ideas want them don't want them it's like no i need to you know adjust to um serve that vision and i would you know from there forward pay much closer attention to what that vision is yeah that's that's remarkable. And uh, how did how did you feel about that? I feel like the therapist now, you know, being there to to tonally serve somebody else's vision. Were you able to kind of to put yourself into that and and to enjoy that process as well? Y- yes, absolutely. Um, Especially for somebody who had spent so much time working solo at five o'clock yeah. in the morning in a coffee shop on her own idea for so long. Yeah. I guess the things I learned the most in that first writer's room were often also social lessons. Ah. And like, I don't perceive myself, I could be kidding myself right now, but I don't perceive myself as a particularly annoying person. I think I'm 
pretty socially savvy. You're socially savvy. I am often annoying. Whoa. So as somebody who is annoying, I can. Uh, uh, you're not annoying. <laughs> anyway, at one You're like, point, turn your body anyway. <laughs> you're not annoying at all. You're wonderful. At one point, uh, every room's different, yeah. right? And this was a very reserved room. Couldn't be less like, say, for example, the Ghost Wars room. But it was a very reserved, uh, thoughtful, quiet room, which is weird because it was a comedy. But that's the mm. way the room was. That was the tone of it. So uh, I got a phone call. I'd been working on the show for about a month. And it was a Sunday night, and uh, my showrunner was like, can I uh, talk? I need to talk to you before work tomorrow. And I was like, I'm getting fired. I'm fully getting fired. That is the only way to read that kind of phone no, call. No, and it was like we were going to chat after dinner, and it was the afternoon, and I was just in stitches, and I was like looking at flights home, and I was like, I'm being fired. I suck. And we got on the phone, and... He was like, just, okay, first of all, you're doing great work. You're so valuable in the room. So happy to have you. Uh, just one thing. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, when we are all thinking, like, let's say there's a problem, like, I don't know. Why, what's APA going to do about this? Whatever. And we're all just going to think with this, think about this problem. We're all trying to come up with ideas. And there's silence that when there is silence, I would <laughs> oh, no. repeat the question out loud <laughs> under my breath. Like, so, hmm, what is Abba going to do? <laughs> and he was like, it's just sort of breaks up the flow. And I'm like, sorry, basically you're telling me don't be annoying? And he was like, kind of yes. But I didn't say that. I'm like, gotcha. <laughs> Wow. Oh my God. This is so humiliating. I can't believe this just happened. So, but you didn't yeah. get, I mean, would it have been better in that situation just to be fine? No, that would have been, have been worse. But getting called to be told that oh. you're annoying is, it's not awesome. You should have been like, do you want to watch me Vogue? Do you want to see tap dance? <laughs> That is, a, that is an amazing, amazing story. So uh, what are some things that you feel should go into the television writer's toolkit? Like I'm talking about tangible items as well as behaviors and attitudes. Uh -huh. Well, you have to know what your place is. So when you're a junior in the room, your job is to be an idea generator. And you don't need to decide if it's good or bad. You just need to go, okay, where's it going to take place? A pool, a tennis court, a dungeon, a crypt, a living room. And you, you let the people above you go, no, 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 yes, maybe, I don't know. And um, I heard Dennis Heaton in that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and... You know, as you move up in the ranks, then it's what kind of levels of thought do you do you put into it? Um, knowing your place is kind of a big part of it. And also knowing what you bring to the team. I don't know if Simon talked about this when he was with you, but uh, he's mentioned to me and I've heard him speak about a writer's room is like putting together a sports team. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about sports. Me neither. But, uh, but basically, I get the idea that everyone brings something unique to the table. So when Simon asked me to come work on Ghost Wars, 
I was like, oh, I cannot write a show called Ghost Wars. I don't don't even like that <laughs> genre really. I don't know. I love how you're delivering it. that sense too. Like ah, like you're recoiling from even yeah. having to say those. I was words. like, I don't want to disappoint you. And he was like, I have writers. I have the like Karen Lamb was in the room. Yeah. I have the person who knows it has the horror lexicon, you know, birded or brain. I have structure people. I have I have somebody in the room for everything. Uh, I'm not asking you to bring those things or know those things. Yeah. I want you to come in and, you know, keep an eye on relationships and character and journey. And I ended up contributing, you know, with everything. But to know that I didn't need to serve um, every function was valuable to me. Hmm. That's interesting. So the stuff that you brought were these things that you knew about yourself before you got into writer's rooms or these were the the things that have revealed themselves like since you've been in there? Well, I think like I had written a comedy, so I was a a comedic voice uh, and uh, just based on the other projects that I had written to go what val, like what are the things that I care about? now, one of the things that I love about Ghost Wars is that one of the many things this is like my this episode is a love letter f- to it. I know it's it's not it's you know you're, you have a vastness of a career, but I've also had like most of the writing team on this show as well. But you know there is the fact that it was directed like by a lot of women, and that yeah. there were a lot of women in yeah. in that writers' room. You know, so yeah. how does that change the the creative flow, or like what differences do you see between when you're in a mostly dude oriented writers' room and one that has a lot of women in it? Honestly, I have never worked in a writers' room that that wasn't at least fifty percent female. And I know I'm very, very lucky. Wow. Um, Letterkenny doesn't have a writer's room. Um, we just... Uh, you have a trailer? Write- <laughs> no, we got nothing. <laughs> we have a phone call and then you write where you write from. So that's a different... Um, that's a different thing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a different thing. Um, is that a cost thing? Or is it they want everything to sound like... They want to preserve voices? Or like, why is um, it... Jared has said that he... he it, that didn't appeal to him. Yeah, and um, I I read the, uh, an article with the producers that were saying that they thought that in a way that that might dilute the voice of the show, which is so strong. Yeah, uh, when it go, you know that yeah, having a whole bunch of minds, w- it would get less specific. I love that you had to read that in an article as well. <laughs> like they didn't. It wasn't a conversation that you were having in a room. No, it was I, like, I just oh, yeah. I read it. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and everyone's scattered um, across the country. So that's really fun and a different thing. So I don't know what it's like to work in a room, in a mostly male room, to be honest. I And I love that. That means that the times they are it's, a-changing. Absolutely. Um, we stand here at the end of, of this journey into your career and uh, into the work that you're putting out there. And I know we've talked a few times about, you know, how, how what you've wanted has changed over time, mm-hmm. which and I love talking about, about success, what you want at the beginning of your career versus what, what you might want now. So well, let's talk about that then. What, are so, what, is, what is success to you now? What kind of work do you want to be putting out there? And 
when do you feel the most fulfilled? And go. Well, I mean, my dream is, I think, what most people's dream is, which is most writers, which is I would like to have my own show, which I have, you know, three with in development right now. And I would love to see something that my one of my babies come to fruition. Yeah. Um, so that would be the dream. I guess maybe a few years ago, I would have said that I would have wanted to be more like Alina Dunham to have a show that I wrote that I star in. But um, that's of uh, that's changing and yeah. evolving. And, you know, with Pregoland, I, I wanted to star in it. And I did. But I also know that if I had stood down, the movie probably would have had a star in it. And a lot more people would have seen it. And our poor producers would have actually made some money. So I'm, it's like a decision I'm a little bit haunted about where I don't know if I made the right choice or not. And I'll, I'll never know. I think you made the right choice. Well, I would have been saying what if, if I hadn't. Yeah. But I also know it could have been a totally different thing. Um, so I sort of, out of necessity, letting that part of the dream go. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to get one of my own shows made and, and show run it. And what is success to me? Um, I would like to continue to work and to not have to hustle for it. And mm. that is already starting to happen. Um, to have a foundation of a reputation where people will come to me and um, and that's that's starting to happen. And I want to be rich. Yeah, I want you to be rich. Thanks. I want to be rich. I want to be s monstrously wealthy. I as well. So I can fund everybody's projects yeah. and, you know, do a lot of good in my community. I don't know if that's gauche to say, but I want to be filthy fucking rich. Yeah. It's... It probably is gauche. Great. Um, but I think a lot also depends on, on what you do with your money when you have it. You know, I want comfort in my life. It's all to charity. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> all I want to be filthy fucking rich and then give it all to charity. I just, but not anonymously. Oh, no. You want everybody to know. Do you, you get what I'm I totally, yeah. Oh, no. We have sponsored some awards and different events recently, and I have fucking loved it. I love going. I love seeing my logo up there, and I love knowing that my money is going to do some good in the community, you know, uh, in this community, because there's so many people who are hustling, who are working so hard. And, like, you know, I want to, when I am monstrously wealthy, I, I want to make everybody's dreams come true. Well, I like that about you. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. So I'm not super annoying. No. I'm a little bit annoying. I sometimes feel like I'm kind of like a little like puppy, like because I get no. so enthusiastic you're about things. You're just like you're perfect. Wow, <sighs> perfect too, Sonia Bennett. Jesus Christ! All right, where can our fans find you on the social media? I'm on Twitter, uh, Sonia Bennett one two three. Sonia Bennett one two three. Yeah, that's it. I will put a link to it in the footnotes for this okay. episode. Okay, great. Okay. Oh, you are going to be a playwright. Yeah, yeah, that's very that is very exciting. Whew. So, we we cannot leave today without you because right. you know you've done feature film, you've uh -huh. done web series, you've done TV, and now you're going to be on stage. Your I, words I are going to live on stage. So tell us about that. Uh, I will be writing uh, the next two years of the East Van Pantos. Wow. So uh, Pinocchio is about to go up yeah. soon. So I did not write that, but for the 2020 season, I will be. 
um, adapting Alice in Wonderland wow. into a East Van pantomime. Yeah. And then I'll be writing the, the year after that as well. But you don't have a theme for that one yet. Not yet. I just need to return write the of first Ghost Wars. You know they, what I love too is that Ghost these are <laughs> East Fred Panto. Yeah, Sabrina, it's totally going to be that. You read my mind. You're ready to slap me. Um, but you know, East Van Panto has had such incredible uh, playwrights write that I show know. before, and it's I'm and so uh, it's a family tradition for so many people. So I'm terrified. Uh, yeah, but fear is good, I, right? I 100% agree. Yes. That's how you know it's you got to do it. Yeah, it feel the, the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, because yeah, it matters. Okay, well, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. You've been on my list for a long time. You've also been out of town for a long time, so it's been nice to get you in here. To our listeners, we say thank you so much. Please like and subscribe and leave us a review if you are so inclined. Those help us find even more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Farmiger. Mm-hmm. I think I hurt my vocal cord at that and it's edited by Simon Furminger special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger we're family business for technical support YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene and go watch Ghost Wars and 